everyone, and welcome back to Inside College Admissions, a SCORE podcast. We're excited for you to join us today for another conversation in our Deans of Admissions series. You'll hear from our guests about the fall semester during a pandemic, the admissions process, how schools are adapting, suggestions and advice for families, and much more. Our strategic advisor, Peter Van Buskirk, will guide us through the conversation today with our special guest. Now over to Peter for today's interview. Welcome to Inside College Admission, conversations with admission leaders about matters affecting the college-going process. My name is Peter Van Buskirk. Earlier this year, I was able to chat with 20 deans of admission about the challenges posed to their institutions by the emerging coronavirus. Today, I'm pleased that Stephanie DuPaul, who's the Vice President for Enrollment Management at the University of Richmond, uh, and a good friend, has been able to break away from the credential review process to update us on the college admission process at her school in the era of COVID-19. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be here. Well, it, it's good to see you again. So, so what are things like in your shop now? I mean, when we talked before, you were anticipating how the institution would need to pivot, not just uh, uh, in, in terms of admission and outreach, but also in terms of the whole academic program. I, I would imagine that pivot was a successful one. But So fairly well. We, we really we're very pleased with how the fall semester went our students were amazing our faculty and staff were amazing we we got through 14 weeks of in-person instruction with 2700 students living on campus and very very low positivity rates um, so it went it went as well as we could have hoped or even dared to have hoped for the fall semester um, but of course now we're ramping up and planning for spring and we, we can talk at some point about continuing students and what we're looking at for the spring semester uh, in the land of admissions, which I know is the land that, that your, your audience is interested in, uh, it, it's been an interesting fall. So many schools, including Richmond, have seen more applications this year. Um, so application increase has been interesting, uh, given that a lot of these students have not visited our college campuses. Uh, we're having to, to think about what do they know about Richmond? Um, you know, how important is that college visit going to be to them if they're admitted before they make their decisions? So we're starting to talk about that a lot, but we're, we're on track for a good admissions cycle. We just released our early decisions. Uh, when this airs in, in January, we should be wrapping up our early action cycle, have over you know, 10,400 applications and our last deadline still to come. Um, academic quality is looking solid, diversity is good. I think one of the biggest surprises for me is that we have a lot more international applications this year. And I could not have predicted that. Uh, that that's been a, a real shock and we're surprised and we're trying to figure that one out. You, you, you kind of characterized your response to the application increase as interesting. I, I would imagine that back in April, May, June, you would have been, you probably were preparing yourselves as an institution for the worst case scenario, which would be fewer applications. What do you think's going on? Uh, how how are you, how do you think students are uh, feeling some degree of confidence that uh, that they want to go ahead and apply even though they may not have seen the school? Well, I, I think there's a, well, I know there's a national trend going on. So the Common App, for example, has reported that students who use the Common App are applying to more institutions. Mm -hmm. So it's not that there are more students in the pipeline; it's that they're applying to more institutions. Uh, and why matters? To, and, and they have more time on their hands too. And they have more time on their hands. And you throw in that most institutions are now test optional with very few exceptions. And so suddenly there are schools out there they might not have applied to in the past because that test score that was the average looks a little intimidating. 
And now they think, oh, I might as well throw my hat in the ring. You know, I can always go test optional. I might as well give it a try. So they're applying to more schools and they're probably applying to a, a broader range of schools when it comes to the academic profile the schools are applying to. At the end of the day though, they can only go to one. Right. And so how they pick that one with limited visit opportunities and minimal exposure to campuses is going to be interesting. Interesting apparently is my theme word of the year. It's going to be challenging for them to figure out how to authentically understand a school when they can't see it. Well, I would imagine for you and your crew, uh, trying to discern the interest of a student ranging from, I really get it, I understand what Richmond's all about, and, and th this is where I need to be because it, you're going to help me achieve my goals as opposed to, hey, I've got to apply to Richmond because it's Richmond. How do you, how do you see the, the difference in the application? What do you look for? I, I actually was reading applications at two o'clock this morning. Oh, um, <laughs> it's, it's the time of year. Uh, and I did find myself at times thinking, who, you know, who is this student? Where do they hear about Richmond? You know, what's, what has their engagement been? What, what are they saying on their applications, how they found out about the university? And occasionally thinking to myself, does this person know what the university is? Mm -hmm. And just when I hit that point, it seems like I would turn the page to the next essay or the next piece of writing. And the student will have talked about their passion for, for science and research and how the University of Richmond specifically has this integrated science program where you take physics and calculus and chemistry concurrently with, you know, team taught by three professors. And I think, oh, this, you know, here's a student who's, who's done their homework, mm -hmm. who has done a lot of searching. And I tell you, students, high school seniors this year are on the internet 24-7 researching colleges, um, judging from what they're putting in their applications. And they're looking for schools that have really specific things that speak to them. Uh, whether it's a program like IQS here at Richmond or it's a specific faculty member's research in neuropsychology and they're mentioning it in their applications and that's helping me when I read applications figure out if a student is interested in, in what Richmond, how Richmond fits them or just interested in Richmond the name, you know, helps a lot. Is it a whimsical application or a well thought out application? Yes, and I don't mind a little whimsy, especially at two o'clock in the morning, um, because you know it, it's entertaining. But I like to know that there's a student who's making an intentional decision about the next four years of their life, because mm -hmm. that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't want them to to come to a school that is other than they think it is. You you've touched briefly on the, the test optional situation. Can you kind of give us a sense of how that's working for for Richmond right now? So far, it seems to be working pretty well and pretty organically, naturally here. Um, I know there are other schools that talked about, you know, splitting their applicant pools. They had one committee reading people with tests and one committee reading people without tests. And, you know, a lot of schools taking a lot of different approaches to test optional. Uh, here, we decided not to split to go ahead and continue our review, our holistic review process in our committee the way we always have. Uh, we, you know, just don't have the testing piece showing for um, almost half of our applicants. Hmm. We've talked to a lot of our peer institutions. They're reporting similar numbers, applying test optional. Uh, at schools that have historically been test optional, they're, they were surprised by the increased number of test optional applicants they get. And I, I think that really speaks to the fact there really is an availability crisis uh, with testing. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been interesting to read. There are some students who have submitted test scores, who've expressed concern in their application that the test was taken so long ago, they, don't, they feel like they would have done better. Mm -hmm. It, that is actually something that people in admission understand and are aware of and recognize. So that's something we do talk about at admission committee. 
Uh, there are students who tell stories about registering for a test, having it canceled, registering for the next, having it canceled, registering for the next, having it canceled, going 200 miles away to take a test. They're really committed to having that test score, uh, so it is important to them. I'm not sure it is as important to us as it is to them. Can you make good decisions without the test? I mean, are you Because you've had tests in your, your evaluation paradigm for many years, and now it's gone. Uh, and now it's gone. And, and we mourn the loss of any tool, any piece of information. You, you know, as you know, admissions people are, are nosy Nellies. Mm -hmm. We like lots of information and lots of ingredients in the pie, right? So we like having more information than having less information, certainly. But we are very confident. The decisions we've made, we're very confident in. When we look at uh, high school curriculum as closely as we do, uh, when we're really able to see students' academic pathways and choices, uh, when we're able to tie that together with what their interests are, you know, I, I don't necessarily need an SAT score to look at a student who's done AP Bio and Chem, research in the lab, volunteer work at a local hospital, you know, a, a summer enrichment program shadowing a surgeon who wants to be pre-med. Is the test score really to tell me if this student is passionate about sciences? No, not necessarily, no. Is their work in the classroom gonna tell me whether they're going to be good at the sciences? Yes, it is. So in those cases, you know, the test score would love to have, just because it's an interesting added element. Uh, but, you know, so is the added element of the recommendation from the chemistry teacher talking about their research. And in some ways, that element is a lot more organic and authentic to the individual student than a standardized test would be. So you, you hark back then to the, the holistic admission process. And I often refer to that as the students who do a good job with their applications tend to create a connect the dot scenario where each part of the application speaks to other parts and the whole picture emerges. I don't know if that's an appropriate uh, metaphor for your situation or not. As, as, as we get into this test optional environment, there are still folks who are nervous, who will look at University of Richmond test option and will say, that's pretty cool. I've got a modest score, but if I don't send it in, won't they assume my score was low? How do you respond to that? I can't resolve their fear because... Right. If they're fearful and nervous about the college application process, if I, if I take away one stressor, they'll find another one. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can assure you that we're not making that assumption at all. Mm -hmm. at all. So we're not assuming someone would have had a good test score or a bad test score. That's not um, a pathway we're playing. It's not, a, it's not a, a metric we're trying to back calculate or anything like that. We're just assuming that for whatever reason, they either don't have a score or they don't think it's an important part of their story. And for some students, the, the research has shown that for some students who are very high scoring, they choose not to submit scores because they don't want that to be part of their story, right? They're, they, they're in the I'm more than a number camp and that's okay. So, you know, if we were to make an assumption that everybody who doesn't submit has a bad score, mm -hmm. it would be a, a, a misperception, it would be an inaccuracy. I, I hope they won't worry about that. I also want to speak a little bit to this idea of tying the pieces of the, of the application together. Okay. Some students really worry about that too. And not all applications tie together that neatly with a bow. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there are students who are, who are exploring, who are still figuring out what they like, who get something to try and then drop it, or who, or who have lots of different interests, you know, and that's okay too. It's really about trying to make the application as authentic about who you are and where you are and where you hope to go as you possibly can. Um, an application I read last night went way overboard on trying to tie things together. 
you know, and I, I was reading the essay and I thought, gosh, this, all this essay is trying to do is answer the question in a way that reminds me that, you know, this student did X project and has this hobby and wants to do this when they grow up. And that's great, but it felt almost artificial because they were trying so hard to do it. It didn't sound like I was sitting down and having a conversation with a human being. It sounds to me like that instance was perhaps a reflection of a, a resume narrative than more so than it was a, a life narrative. Exactly. I, I like the, the use of the word authentic because it, it's a reminder to the student that you want to see the real person rather than fancied up resume element uh, that uh, would help them stand apart. Well, I'm curious also, Stephanie, if you could look in your kind of crystal ball to, to imagine what this period of time is going to mean for the role of testing in our in our society going forward. Do you think that, do you think that uh, some people think this is the death knell for testing? Others will say, mm, maybe, but not quite. What do you see? Yeah, testing's been around for a long time and it's, it's, it might be a little too early to call it its death knell. Mm-hmm. I think if testing were to go away completely, five to 10 years later, someone would step forward and say, wait a minute, this is messy, this is complicated. How can we compare people from different schools? You know, we need a standardized metric for evaluation and suddenly it'd be testing 2.0. I think that this is an opportunity for the testing agency though, and an opportunity for the testing agencies to make the tests uh, more modern, more adaptive, uh, more accessible, uh, to continue to double down on ensuring the tests align with what does predict success in colleges and universities, but also continuing to double down on on forcing, I'm not gonna say helping anymore, I'm forcing universities to look at tests and context. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if I could be the ruler of the universe for one day, there are many things I would do. All women's clothing would have pockets, the Super Bowl would be on a Saturday, <laughs> important rules like that. I would institute a rule that testing agencies would refuse to send test score reports to schools that use them as cutoffs. If it were to become known that a school said, if you have to have X score exactly or better to get a scholarship, Mm -hmm. I would refuse to send them scores. That is not an authentic, appropriate use of testing. So I think that testing agencies have an opportunity to bring testing into the current century, but also maybe they could step forward and, and, and do more to make sure that testing is being used appropriately. I'm curious to to kind of get your perspective also on how the events of the last year have affected the students who are marginalized. I mean, I, I would imagine well that the students who have means come from situations of some degree of privilege are able to figure out how to navigate this process. But those that might be first generation, uh, lower socioeconomic status are always at a disadvantage now even more so. How, how do you see that working at, at Richmond and, and at others perhaps? Yeah, this is the the really dark and bad part of where we are in the world today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the students who are already at a disadvantage are even more disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. They're doing remote education. They don't have access to their high school counselors. They don't have the resource to register, re-register, register, and re-register, and take a test 200 miles away. And they're not getting the same level of information that they need to, to do well. And you lay over this this national horrible context of, of systematic racism and how campuses are dealing with that. It is this this is my biggest concern, frankly, post-COVID, is 
will there be some changes in college going behavior to become more regional? Will it be more attention paid to the top schools? Maybe yes, but, but what is going to happen to the first generation low income student who doesn't have the level of, of resource and opportunity that others do? Mm -hmm. um, and this is an area where I hope a lot of universities will act locally to create a national impact. It'd be very difficult for the University of Richmond, for example, to impact the college going behavior of you know public school kids in Orlando, Florida, right? It'd be much easier for a school like Rollins to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so schools, schools that have are in a fortunate position as, as Richmond is, uh, we are trying to think proactively and take action during this time. So for example, a few weeks ago, we announced that here in Richmond, uh, we're moving to a, a, a no loan financial aid policy for Richmond public school students. So students who graduate from the Richmond public schools, uh, we not only meet full demonstrated financial need, which we've always done, uh, we will meet that need with no loans whatsoever. I think that's it's an important time to do this, mm -hmm. to make sure that our students are aware of schools like Richmond, because when they learn about us and that we do this, they might also learn about other great schools that do the same thing. It might open their eyes to the possibility mm -hmm. um, in, in ways that didn't exist before. So schools that are fortunate as we are can act locally, but on a national level. There could be a, an upswell that helps lift students and get them back into the pool, get them back on the, on the pathway to go to a, a great undergraduate institution and, and, take, and seize those opportunities. I think that's a, that's a great perspective, and, and I'm excited to hear what you're doing, and hopefully others will follow your lead. Uh, with regard to financial aid and, and the, the sense of affordability across the board, I would imagine that that's a whole, whole other conversation that, that you guys have to deal with, and that uh, families that may have felt comfortable, let's say, financially through 2019 and began to look at the college expense thing, we're, we're rationalizing things as, well, you know, it's expensive, but we can probably do it. Coming out of 2020, they're probably shell-shocked. And uh, looking at that FAFSA, and the first thing they see in the FAFSA is, well, we need to provide our 2019 data. How, how do we communicate to colleges what's going on in 2020? Is, is that something that's come across your radar, that, that conundrum? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, and, and the students who are, who are here are easy because we can communicate directly with them. Students who have great high school counseling, the high school counselors or the CBOs that they work with are, are definitely explaining to them that they can apply for financial aid through a professional evaluation based on current circumstances. So they don't have to be tied to what happened in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, they, can, they can say, you know, my situation has changed here in my 2020. Uh, here's my 2020 information. Uh, you know, can you look at it based on 2020? And schools have the professional leeway to do so. It, it is one of those areas that where it helps to know the rules, you mm -hmm. know, helps to know that that's an option. And I'm not sure that everyone knows it is an option. Uh, we've certainly communicated it to our on-campus community um, and our admissions counselors are working with, with our new students, our new applicants. Like so many things though in our world, if you don't ask, you could miss out. And that, you know, again, exposes another gap in our, in our systems and our processes. We've had a number of students who've appealed for, for changed circumstances. Uh, we've you know, been able to, to facilitate those appeals and to meet full demonstrative financial aid based on their current world order. Uh, you know, we're, we're hopeful that the economic crisis will recover, uh, but students should really feel comfortable reaching out to financial aid officers as allies to them in finding a way to make their college affordable. Um, that's, they need to, 
I hope they'll see this. It's, it's an allied relationship. It's not an adversarial relationship with financial aid. Well, right. And, and I think that one of the, the early mistakes families make is that they, they assume, well, I have to get in touch with the FAFSA to let them know about our 2020. FAFSA is not going to do anything with that. It, you, you need no. to work with the college. Work with the college. And you have to work with each college. So for those new students who are being admitted to schools for 2021, unfortunately, you are going to have to work individually with each school and you're going to get different results at each school. Because mm -hmm. each school has their own institutional methodology for viewing claims like this. And each, each school um, works, operates in a different manner. So have patience with it, um, allocate some time to it. Uh, yeah, the worst thing that can happen is you're in the exact same place that you were when you dialed the phone, mm -hmm. right? That's the worst thing that can happen. That's not a bad outcome. Exactly. It's just, it, it's just knowledge at that point. Uh, so there are a lot of better outcomes available. The pivot that you've had to experience both as, as an institution, but also as an enrollment management and admission operation has taken you to new places of, of discovery and, and operation. What's going to stick? I mean, of the things that, that you've seen so far that you've done so far, let's, let's maybe stay in, in, in the admission environment, but uh, for the moment, but what do you think is going to be a, a lasting uh, element uh, in, in your operation based on the innovation of the last 10 months? We're certainly going to stay with a lot of the virtual things that were developed. We're probably going to travel less. You know, there there is some advantage to being able to do college fairs from afar if we can find a good college fair platform. There are some very bad ones out there, uh, but there's a lot of advantage to be able to do some high school visits from afar. It's harder on the staff in some ways. I mean, we have staff who are doing high school visits at two and three in the morning because their territory is India, you know, and, and it can be a little bleary eyed to, to do your high school visit remotely at three in the morning. Um, but I think a lot of that will stick. I think that we're, we're being pushed by this to move to a less traditional work day. Mm -hmm. um, we're being pushed by this to move to content that's more on demand because the student who's doing their college search and wants to go down that rabbit hole about a specific area, if it's you know 10 o'clock at night and that's the rabbit hole they're going down, we wanna make sure that we have content out there for them. Um, so the, the virtual content explosion is not going to go away. Um, travel will resume, I'm absolutely confident of that, but I think it will be more limited than it's been in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, because we have found ways to mimic a face-to-face -face high school visit. Uh, so I think travel will come down just a little bit. One thing I'm excited about the virtual content piece, though, because I do think that will, over time, open up access to more students. Mm -hmm. It will be easier for students to learn about more schools in a more in-depth way than it used to be. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad about the, the, virtual, the virtual innovation piece. Um, I think the testing it will be interesting to see how many schools go back and are no longer test optional once testing resumes at a more regularized pace. Uh, and I think we'll see a new level growing in the testing argument, which is going to be not test optional, but test blind. Mm -hmm. We're already hearing schools talk about becoming test blind where you just can't send in your test score. We don't want to even know if you took the test, just testing is non-existent yeah. in the school's world. So you're going to begin to see kind of new levels of tests that are going to run the range from testing required all the way through to testing is the word you should never never speak this word. Right. Maybe like Lord Voldemort, never say the name. So you'll you'll start to see movement in those areas. 
I also suspect you're going to see some changes in pricing and in financial aid uh, because people are sensitive to pricing. They're sensitive to schools that meet full need. They're becoming aware of the fact that um, not all schools can support students financially in the same way when things do go south. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be some more awareness, I think, to how you take care of your students uh, financially, academically, socially in bad times. And schools will be judged on how they've done this last 12 months and the next six months um, on how they've taken care of their students. A different kind of accountability that emerges out of this time period. That's for absolutely, sure. absolutely. And I think for schools, there's a different awareness of, of how people perceive price from the standpoint of what they're paying for. When you hear students saying remote isn't the same, I shouldn't have to pay as much. Uh, remote is not less expensive for universities to operate at all, at all. Uh, so universities are not saving money in this in the COVID world, uh, but we are hearing loud and clear that students and families see the college experience as far more than the college credential, and there is financial value to them of the on-campus, heavy student life, sports going on, mm -hmm. spiders sort of thing. So I think schools are going to be more aware of this and cognizant of this as they're working on their pricing plans. It's a, a brave new tomorrow out there. It'll be interesting to see what develops. Uh, as we wrap things up, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you could maybe just reflect for a moment uh, on process as we see it today, imagining that there are families that are eager for their children to, to have the, the college experience, but are more than a bit bewildered about what they're looking at right now. And in terms of how do we get from point A to point B, are there maybe one or two bits of advice or questions that, that, well, bits of advice you would offer them or questions that they might be asking colleges and universities as they engage in their, their college selection process? You know, ideally students can visit campuses, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and many schools have started doing small tours again, you know, individual family tours. We're doing that here now, for example. So there are some, will be some opportunities to see a college campus uh, if physically putting your foot on the grass matters. But it's not going to be the same and it's not going to be enough, frankly, for some families, um, nor should it be. So I think really what they need to be thinking about now is how can we get, how can we connect with students and how can we connect with faculty to get a sense of a place's personality, knowing that one student or one faculty member is not the university as a whole, but to try and find a way to have a one-on-one -on -one student conversation is going to be really important. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, most schools I know are working to build platforms and programs for that if they don't already have them. But my advice to them would be to, to focus on that. They need to sit down and have a really honest family conversation about price, of course, but they also need to have an honest family conversation with comfort level with distance and comfort level with uncertainty. I have reminded a few families that, you know, we've always had at least 25% of our freshmen come, come to the University of Richmond without ever having seen the campus in person. Always. I mean, our international students, a lot of students from afar, they come here cold without ever seeing the campus and they retain and graduate at the same level. They have wonderful experiences and wonderful outcomes. So sit down with each other and talk about, can you be all in for that? Because if 25% of students have always had that success, there's no reason to believe we can't expand that. Um, so don't let not being able to be there physically totally close the door in a school, 
but do look for opportunities to talk individually and authentically with faculty and with students to make sure you feel like you'll have a friend, for lack of a better term, a friend, someone there who can back you, someone there who you can later turn to and say, I enjoyed talking to you before I made the decision to come here. Can you help me figure out how I navigate X, Y, or Z? So make a connection, make a personal connection with someone at the schools you're admitted to. It'll help when you get there. So in effect, don't let the process happen to you, make it happen for you. Precisely. Stephanie, this has been great, and I uh, I appreciate your taking some time away from reading. Maybe, maybe you welcome it at this point. I don't know, but but it's it's just always great to 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 talk with you and get your perspective on the college going process, and especially this year when things just don't look the way they used to. So I appreciate again your time and, and your good thoughts, and I hope that those uh, who've been able to to listen into this session uh, take away a, a good deal of insight that will help them in their college planning. So thank you again, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up in the future. Great. Thanks, Peter, so much.